You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Submission of slaves to masters. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favour if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there? If you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it. But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favour with God. For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Oh, there's someone here. I don't like these lights because you can't actually see faces. Somebody said early this morning, and I think it might have been for me and for my benefit, so as not to feel bad that the church was half empty. <clears throat> and I don't because it's um, it's part of your biblical training when you go to theological colleges you're told that when you become a minister or a pastor or whatever that the minute you announce you're going on leave half your congregation does the same thing so <laughs> so I knew that that's what would happen hopefully Christ our hope fullness in hope it's been a joy this week to work with James James, have you got that slide that Jono put up last week with our photos on it? I don't suppose you have. No, it's all right. If you were here last week, I wanted to take umbrage at the slide that was put up uh, because it made me look like I was 80 and, ja and James about 18. And um, I thought that was very unfair. So I'm not sure who was responsible for that photo. but Thank you, Leslie, for the music and... Je uh, Joanna, sorry, I went to say Jemima. And uh, for the ladies that have been working, get our morning tea ready. For the people that welcomed you as you came in the front door. The guys at the back working the audio and sound systems. You know, the Sunday mornings is a real team effort. I don't know particularly why, but that really impacted me this week. And we're so grateful for everybody that makes Sunday mornings happen here at Red Door. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Doug, and I've been a Christian for a little while, and um, it's my joy to be part of the Red Door community. Uh, Judy and I love this church. We love the people in the church, and it's just such a joy to be here Sunday by Sunday, and um, just to be part of you <laughs> and... Um, we really don't take that for granted. We really enjoy it. Leslie couldn't have chosen better music. I had the privilege um, in 2001 of being in the United States for the, for the centenary <coughs> excuse me, of the mission group that Judy and I worked with for a lot of years. And that uh, greatest day faithfulness was the theme and uh, I remember one Sunday morning, uh, the final Sunday morning of our, of our week of celebrations, uh, a thousand missionaries <laughs> standing and, and singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I looked around the room and there was a lot of really oldies there and um, probably some of them are what my age is now. But I knew a lot of their testimonies. I'd read some of their books. I'd heard a lot of them speak missionaries who um, 
were attacked by Japanese in China, missionaries who were put in prison for their faith in Korea and China and Taiwan. It really had a big impact on me that all these people, there was about a thousand of them, missionaries, and uh, all singing from the bottom of their heart and, and bellowing it out. And there was a big pipe organ leading and it was just the most moving thing to see all of these people singing to God, thanking him for his faithfulness because I knew a lot of what many of them had been through. So thank you for choosing that song. You didn't know you were doing that, but it's a joy to share with you this morning. And, and over the three weeks that, that uh, Jono, our pastor Jono, is away, and please pray for the guys as they're, uh, Jono and the family as they're on holidays, because they, they need the rest. Um, but James and I are going to tackle Peter over these three weeks, and it's been fun this week to be bantering backwards and forwards with James and coming up with that theme because we want to talk about the hope that we have in Christ. Thanks, mate. So you're still helping me. <clears throat> Many years ago, in fact, I think I was maybe 20, I'm not sure, um, the pastor under whom I um, got to know the Lord uh, was a, an elderly man, a very elderly man. In, in fact, I came to know Jesus just really not long before his 70th birthday. And um, he and his wife mentored me and uh, took me under their wing and um, had a great influence on my life. <clears throat> and just a couple of years after I knew Jesus as my saviour, Andrew got very sick. His wife had already passed away and he got real, really very sick and it turned out he had cancer uh, before he even knew he had it it was right through his body and uh, it was a real test of my new faith because he suffered dreadfully you know you see some people who sort of go through their treatment and, and it's okay but, but Andrew didn't the treatment and the cancer both really had devastating effect on him and uh, it really upset me. He was this wonderful man of God and, and I really, really cried out to the Lord. For, I, I just don't understand this. This man of God had been a missionary to the Aboriginals for many years. He uh, had pastorates in Victoria for many years. And um, over his experience in our church, when he came to the church I grew up with, we had a youth group of about 20 of us, teenagers, and, and I have to say, it was a very unholy youth group, and it was more just fun and whatever trouble we could get into than it was about anything else. But when Andrew and Anne, his wife, came to our parish, the youth group started to change, and I found out sometime later that the first thing they did was start praying for all of us kids individually, every day. And uh, at the end of his time in that church, all 20 of us knew the Lord as our Saviour. Three of us went on to go into missionary service. Four became preachers. And at least five that I know of, of others went into some sort of Christian service. And this was a very rebellious youth group. And I was thinking, you know, he's done all this stuff. And why is he now suffering? And I didn't understand it for many years, but I had a real sense of the Lord telling me he's lived his life trying to be like his master. He's lived his life trying to emulate Jesus. And at the end of his life, like Jesus, he's been allowed to suffer and in a very short time go to heaven. And it seemed a bit weird to me at the time. I didn't really understand it, but I, I did get to understand um, that part of what Andrew was dealing with. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case for everybody who's sick or has strife of some sort in their life, but I had that message come very clearly to me at that time. When I was thinking about um, 
what we would start on in these three weeks, uh, I started to think, well, maybe we can talk a little more about Easter because Easter really has a huge impact on the Christian community and on the community at large. And, uh, you know, we focus on Good Friday and the death of our Lord. But then on Sunday morning is the big deal. <laughs> the resurrection is the high point. I mean, yes, Jesus suffered a cruel and agonising death on the cross, but then an extraordinary resurrection. And he rose above it. What he experienced on Good Friday, Sunday, he rose above it. And I began to think, and, and as I prayed, I realised that that is the same experience, actually, that we can all be part of and we can all look forward to. If you look at books, whether they're secular or Christian, you look at a lot of books and articles and so forth, and you'll see that the emphasis on Easter is not so much on the death, but on the resurrection. So there must be something important for us to think about out of that. If we're not careful as Christians, if we start to be a little bit down the track after a few years, you know, Easter can be a bit of a habit. Uh, thankfully for this year, Easter, Jesus helped me make this one a little bit more special. And uh, that's what I wanted to share with you this morning. If you Google Easter, and you'll be surprised to know that I Google anything, you read that Easter is a Christian festival and cultural holiday comm commemorating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as described in the New Testament. So even Google recognises not only Easter but, but the, the, the resurrection. And so for Christians, Easter is a tremendous opportunity to refocus on restoration and rebirth and not on pain and death. And I'm not focusing at all. It's part of the big picture of pain and death. I'm not focusing specifically on physical pain this morning. But we all have pains in our lives. Some of us, it's physical, for some of it's emotional, for some of us, it's, it's kids going astray, whatever it might be, financial pressures that so many are under these days, trying to bring up kids in a very godless society, I'm sure is a tremendous strain for parents today. The resurrection is something that not only fulfills so many prophecies from the Old Testament, but more than that, it, it reveals God's plan that he had from the very beginning for all of humankind to have salvation, but more importantly, to have eternal life. Not to have a life without pain or suffering, but to have a life that has victory over pain and suffering. As we go through it, God can be the victor if you'll allow him to be so. I find that to be amazing news and I hope for all of you this morning, it's your good news that the resurrection that you can experience for yourself is the one that helps you even through the pain and the suffering. The author of the book of Peter is Peter, of course, and um, I guess... Of all the disciples, Peter gets a fair amount of bad press, doesn't he? He seemed to make a few blunders along the way. And uh, he did have a hard time. And I think he's like most of us. He was a, a sinner, fallen from grace. But at the end of the day, totally resurrected with Jesus. I guess one of the things that we um, criticise him the most about is his denial of Christ. And sometimes we do that. <laughs> sometimes the pain in our lives is so great that many of us question whether there is a God. Did Jesus really die for me? Is he really there? And I think we're meant to you know, some Christians feel guilty about that, but I don't think you should feel guilty about that. Christ has had the ex human experience exactly the same as we have. He had his times of doubt. 
remember, he wept. So if he experienced all of that stuff that we're now experiencing, I'm sure it's okay, and I'm sure it's okay for you to have questions and to ask. When Peter was first told of the coming death of Jesus, he was appalled. He was full of doubt. He didn't know why that was going to happen. He didn't think it could or should happen. But later, and once he had acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah, the Lord began to teach his disciples that he must suffer. And that still wasn't good for Peter. And when the Lord went on to teach that it was coming, it was pretty close, Peter still had doubts and protested quite violently. If you read the accounts, he was very vocal in his disagreement and his disappointment and his doubting. But what we're reading this morning comes about 30 years after the death of Jesus. And so by now, Jesus' death, which at the first had seemed so inconceivable to Peter, was now something that he realised had become indispensable. It was in God's plan. And so in today's reading from 1 Peter, he looks at the sufferings of Christ and he relates them to God's suffering servant as told, foretold, I'm sorry, in the book of Isaiah. And I think it's worth us, I think we've got it, reading those few verses from Isaiah. See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being, so he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For they will see that he had not been told them and they will, they will understand what they had not heard. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or a majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was upon him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way. And the Lord has pushed him for the iniquity, sorry, punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. Are you feeling guilty? You should be. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. But he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities, you and me, that's who he's talking about. Therefore I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death, and he was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sins of many, and he interceded for the rebels. 
That's you and me. Every day, every day, bearing our sins. Because we can't help ourselves. <laughs> we blunder through every day. And he's still seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us every day. He looks down and he sees us. Look, there's Doug blundering through the day again. And he says, Father, forgive him. <laughs> I died for him. Look after him. <laughs> if you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, that's what he's doing every day for you and for me. And so Peter had learned in that 30 years from his own experience with Jesus' followers that not only do they suffer along with everybody else, but they also actually serve through their suffering. They live victoriously through crisis and suffering. It took Peter a long time to understand what that was all about. At first he'd opposed Christ's suffering on the cross, not understanding the relevance of it, but then he had learned the important lesson that we lead by serving. And we serve by suffering. And that this kind of suffering always leads to giving glory to God. It takes us a while to get our heads around that. It's very difficult to understand. Because we're all so much geared to working for an end result. We want to go to school. We want to get the best education we can. We need that degree because we need that job to get that money, to get that house, to have that family, to live a good, well life, to have four cars and six TVs in the house. We're so oriented that way. But with forgiveness from sin, and victory over the evils in our life and life everlasting. We just take it. It's ours. It's already been paid for. I guess Peter's writings come out of um, the situations that he was living in in those days. And Chris, I don't know if you realised, but around that time, Christianity was still illegal. The Romans were still punishing Christians uh, for being Christians. The Emperor Nero is recorded as being very um, hostile towards Christians and Christianity. And there are a lot of outbursts of persecutions recorded in many history books against the followers of Jesus and against the very teaching of Jesus. And in the reading this morning, the, the first few verses, you see that Peter was especially concerned for Christian slaves working in non-Christian households. And you can understand that. They were bearing unjust suffering patiently. Can you imagine a, a, a Roman household or a, a very affluent um, a Jewish household and, and they've got these servants who suddenly become Christians and their whole, whole life is upside down. They're, they're not only going against the household, they're going at Going, Nero, the big boy, the boss, the local government is against them and willing to really uh, punish them physically. Many suffered death for their faith, for their example, for their witness. And so Peter was concerned about that. But then we realise if you go down a verse or two, you find that he suddenly sees that it's all part of our Christian calling. Peter goes on to encourage those suffering by showing us three pictures of Jesus Christ and, and these are worth remembering. Firstly, in, in verse 21, he pictures Jesus as our example. All that Jesus did on earth, as we read, find when we read the four Gospels, and although he was sinless, he suffered for us. And never did he retaliate, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2.21 For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Peter's urging us to copy the example of Jesus. I think I have said before, I am not a Greek scholar. 
but I find it interesting to look at the root of some of the words as I look through scripture and uh, where Peter is urging us to be an example of Jesus. The word, the Greek word for example in that case is quite unique in the New Testament because it, it doesn't just mean a sh something you see and follow, something you, you know, you might go to a carnival and follow the clown or I don't know what you might do, but this is a different word. And now some of you are a lot younger than me and you, I remember being at school and the teacher had a big notebook with words on it and the way we learned to write our ABCs was actually taking the teacher's notebook and tracing the letters. This was how you learned to form letters, at least in the little primary school that I grew up in. And that's what this word example is. Not so much just to do it like Jesus does it, not so much um, to look and work out, but to actually delve in, to actually be identical to Jesus. His very life is the example you and me can follow for everyday living. When I first heard that, I was quite convicted. And you'll, you'll laugh at this, but you know Jesus challenges us lots of things. But I remembered, <laughs> I remembered taking a couple of biros home from work once. And do you know the Lord gave me such a guilt trip about that? <laughs> and I thought, those biros, they're worth 50 cents, you know. But they weren't yours to take. <laughs> it was a funny little example, but it's something that I learned very early and I think those are the things the daily things that we need to trace Jesus what did Jesus do how would Jesus have faced this situation Jesus was facing persecution physical pain emotional torment and death for us for me for you and are we to imitate that as well? I think so. I don't think any of us are going to be nailed on a cross. I doubt that many of us will have a thorny crown put on our head that makes horrible scratches in our scalps. But we are all, if you're not already, we are all going to be suffering various things. It might be physical. We talk, I talked about that earlier. It could be a lot of things. Jesus proved that a person could be in the will of God, be greatly loved by God, and still suffer unjustly. There's a brand of Christianity today that teaches, become a Christian, all will be well, everything will be fine. It's like putting on a pair of rose-coloured glasses. The world will be rosy, your life will be rosy, you know, you'll achieve everything you want, you'll have everything you want. But I don't think those who promote those sort of ideas have spent very much time meditating on scriptures and specifically on the Easter message. Our Lord's humility and submission were not evidence of weakness but of power. In John 18 we read that Jesus could have summoned the armies of heaven to come and rescue out of that situation. But it didn't happen. He didn't want it to happen. We're not saved by following Jesus' example because Unlike him who was sinless, we continue to stumble. And that's at the point that sinners need a saviour as an example. Who better to follow than Jesus? Peter goes on in verse 24 to say that Jesus is our substitute. And that's the whole message of Easter, isn't it? He became our substitute. He died as a substitute for sinners. He didn't die as a martyr. I've never heard to Jesus referred to as a martyr. He died as a saviour. He died as a sinless substitute. And that's the, there's a real paradox there, isn't there? Because Christ was wounded that we might be healed. He died that we might live. Romans 6, 5. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of death, we will certainly also be like him we will certainly be in the likeness of his resurrection. One day when we enter heaven and our bodies are glorified, and all sickness will be gone. But in the meantime, even some of God's choicest servants are afflicted 
like you and me. Peter goes on in verse 25 to say that Jesus is our watchful shepherd. Jesus is our watchful shepherd. Remember in the Old Testament, the sheep died for the shepherds. <laughs> the poor old shepherd had to take a sheep with him to the temple as a sacrifice. But at the cross, the shepherd died for the sheep. The cross is all about paradox, isn't it? No wonder people in the world are confused. But our shepherd watches for the lost sheep because he died for those sheep. And I want you to be sure today that our risen Lord, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, is still your shepherd. He's watching. He's protecting. He's leading. Every lost sinner is like a sheep gone astray, ignorant, lost, wandering, away from the place of safety. But our shepherd watches because he died for his sheep. And now that we've returned to the fold and safely under his care, he continues to watch because he knows that we can stray and go into sin. Now in Old Testament days, the shepherd led his sheep out into the pastures every day to graze and he knew they wouldn't go far. Now that's when he slept. Did you know that? And at night, when he put them back into the fold, into the sheep pen, and they slept, he watched over them. Because he, he knew that was the dangerous time. Time when a wolf or whatever might attack. Time when a sheep who couldn't sleep might want to wander away and see what's going on next door. Shepherd watches his sheep. And so he watches over us. And this is the wonderful truth that Peter wanted to share. That as we live godly lives and submit to him in times of suffering, we are following Christ's example and becoming more like him. We submit and obey, not only for the sake of lost souls, but for the sake of the Lord. As we live the Lord's way, as we submit our lives to him and allow him to walk with us in suffering, eventually leading us to victory over that suffering, we become more and more Christ-like every day because we're living our lives as he lived his. Years ago, there used to be a, a bumper sticker that was, I remember at one time, was very fashionable among Christian people and it said Christians aren't perfect just saved Christians aren't perfect just saved that got me out of trouble and was a great comfort to me <laughs> over a number of years now, you may not know Judy and I lived in Taiwan for a time we found uh, the Mandarin language is a little hard to get hold of and we didn't have very much in the way of language skill. But we realised really quickly that the local people around us were watching us. And they were watching the way of life that we lived. And at first it bugged me. <laughs> but then I realised, of course, that there was this language barrier and the only way they could get to know us actually was by watching us. Remember that your witness for good or bad is as much seen by people as it is heard by people who listen to what you say. Very easy to be saintly on Sunday morning and, and Monday morning go out and raise hell. Easy to be a Christian in here this morning, isn't it? Smiling at each other and giving each other the peace and all this stuff. What about when you go to work in the morning? Are you the same person you were today? That's what Jesus is telling us we need to be. I'm not telling you that that's what I am. I'm sure I'm a different bloke tomorrow than I am today. But if I tomorrow submit the day to him and ask him and allow him to come and to guide and lead me through the day, 
it's going to be a better one than if I approach it without him. And I can be sure that whatever happens tomorrow, he's with me in it. And there's nothing I can experience tomorrow that he hasn't already experienced. I can rely on him. He's faithful. He doesn't just, he didn't just say it. He did it. <laughs> he did it. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the unsaved world is watching us, believe me. But we still need to remember that the shepherd is in heaven is also watching us. So while we remain his and under him, we have nothing to fear. We can submit to him and know that he will work everything out for the best, even suffering for our good and for his glory. What a wonderful hope when we just feel that life is dealing us such um, uncalled for trouble. We feel those times when we're really getting a raw deal. What an encouragement to know that Jesus hears us and he understands. You ever have those nights where you lay on your bed and I do most of my best praying at night. Well, I think I do. I don't know what the Lord thinks, but um, I guess that's the quietest time in the house and it's just him and me. But there are some nights I get into my bed and I really say, Lord, this is overwhelming. I don't even know what to ask for. Please just take care of it. That's okay. When I was a young Christian, I thought that prayer was all about long verses and, you know, the more you said, the better the prayer. But that's not scriptural. That's not what the Lord expects. He knows because he's been there that there are times when you don't even know what to pray. Actually, times sometimes when you don't even want to because you're not sure that he's even there listening. It's okay. He understands. He's been there. <laughs> he's done it. He longs to walk through it with us because he's not sympathetic. He's empathetic. He's been there. Christ doesn't feel sorry for us. He knows what we're experiencing because he's been there. There's nothing we can go through that he hasn't already been through, even to death itself. And he won. Christian life is all about victory over sin and victory over death and victory over everything that life can deal us, pain, suffering. He opened the way for us to have the same experience that he had, life everlasting with his Father, if we follow his steps. I guess there's a reasonable question we can ask. If we submit to the suffering, if we just sort of, as it were, resolve to just submit willy-nilly to the suffering, does that mean there's no place for justice? in the world. There's a bit of a tension there, isn't there? But I don't think it's a matter of just giving up and resolving ourselves. Peter answers the question. He tells us that Jesus did not retaliate, neither should we. But he entrusted himself to God and God is the one who judges. Jesus left the judgment to his father. Think of him in, in that courtroom and all the things he could have said to those about him and he didn't. As they made him pick up that heavy cross as they pushed the thorns into his head, stuck a spear in his side and still he didn't retaliate. I don't know about you, but I have to deal with anger almost every day because I want to retaliate. I don't like it when people hurt me or hurt mine, you know, my kid, my grandkids. I don't like that. I want to retaliate. And Jesus must have wanted to retaliate, I'm sure, because he was like us. He was human. But because he had his eyes focused on his father, he didn't because he knew ultimately that his father would be the judge. 
It's the responsibility of the judge both now and even through trials and court cases and whatever else might go on. And ultimately, the great day of judgment that Scripture promises is going to happen. It's God that's the judge, not us. I read quite a bit of um, Dr. John Stott. If you haven't read anything of John Stott, he's the late John Stott, so, um, but a, a wonderful author. Uh, if you get a chance ever to hear any of his tapes of his preaching, absolutely fantastic stuff. John Stott says that love and justice are not incompatible. They actually complement each other if we see them in the example of Jesus. Love and justice are not incompatible. They complement each other as we see in the example of Jesus. This is what Christ accomplished on the cross and particularly through the resurrection. Victory over pain and suffering, death itself, not only for himself, but for all those who follow him. That includes you and me. If Jesus had not risen from the dead but just died, if he had not been resurrected, he would have just been thought of as another teacher or prophet. And I'm sure 2,000 years later we wouldn't be talking about him. However, his resurrection rebuked and provided final undeniable proof that he was the Son of God that he has overcome death once and for all, not only his own, but ours as well. That's the wonderful thing about the Christian faith. And there's nothing we can do, nothing we have to do to gain it. We only accept that all that Jesus has done was a free gift, is a free gift for you and me, from a loving Father in heaven, who wants to give us the very best that there is to get, even though we are totally unworthy recipients. No amount of work or effort on our behalf makes any difference, because as Jesus' last words from the cross said, it's finished. It's finished. He wasn't speaking words out of exasperation. Oh, thank goodness it's all over. That's not what he was saying. He was saying it's finished. Sin and pain and suffering and death have been overcome. It's done. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's already been done. The resurrection of Jesus means life in all its fullness for all of us, if we want it. He's not going to thrust it on you. He gave us the choice. But if you don't make a choice, you've made a choice, <laughs> and I'm afraid it's the wrong way. So this morning, if you're here and uh, you haven't quite decided, you've heard the Easter message, maybe some of you for the first time, the Easter message was for you, for all of us. And the Easter message is that love, Christ, the person of Jesus, paid the price for you to have victory over anything that life can throw at you. And ultimately to give you life full of praise and glory. I can't even imagine what heaven's like. My grand, one of my grandsons asked me recently what was heaven like and I said, look, I'm not really sure but I know it's going to be better than anything I can imagine. But that's what we are being offered. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask Leslie to come and to lead us in a, a song of just something to uh, meditate on, something to think about. And can I say to you that if any of you would like one of us to pray with you after the service there'll be a number of us hanging around and very happy to pray with you to explain more of what I haven't explained very well and to take you further if you need to let's pray together 
Lord, our words are so inadequate to say thank you that your life was given for my life. But the physical pain, the emotional pain, just the stresses of life can be overcome. We can have victory as we allow you to come through them with us, giving us the strength that we need, the guidance, the direction, leading to the fullness of life in Christ. And that even our death has been overcome, that this life isn't the end, it's just the beginning. That the death that you have got the victory in is one that we can take as our own. And that what you offer through victory over death is life everlasting. Life in the presence, the, the real actual presence of our Lord and Saviour, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the message of Easter. In Jesus' name.
Sweet. 